Perhaps you might recall the item being placed before you. It's the attendance roster for the Bread Instead of Bullets Club of the University of California, Los Angeles, dated October 3rd, 1945. Referring to line 37 of the document, does your printed name and signature appear there? It does. Mr. Appleton, tell us about the Bread Instead of Bullets Club. Well, if the committee will note line 36 of the document. 36? Lucille Angstrom? I was courting Miss Angstrom at the time. I attended the meeting for the sole purpose of being with her. Are you asking this committee to believe that you attended a meeting of a communist organization because of a girl? Yes, sir. I'm sure even a majority council like yourself is familiar with the concept of impressing a girl. <laughs> Mr. Appleton, you will please confine your answers. I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman. I'm having trouble reconciling your testimony here, Mr. Appleton. Now, we're told you're prepared to read a statement purging yourself of communist ties. Yet, when questioned about the meeting you attended, you claim not to have gone as a member. I didn't. Then what did you attend as? I'm a little hesitant to say. You agreed to be forthcoming. I insist you do so. Well, I went as a horny young man. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Yeah, I opened up with that uh, scene from a movie called The Majestic. Because uh, it was a, uh, a, a story from the 1940s, maybe the early 50s, re- recalling a, uh, an, an incident from the 40s where we actually went after people for wanting to be part of the Communist Party. And we uh, prosecuted them. Prosecuted them because we were so anti-socialist, they were so anti-communist. But this has come tar- full circle now. It's come full circle, and we're going to talk about that in the next few minutes, but, uh, and then I opened up, I also used the music from, uh, Electric Light Orchestra, who put on a great concert last weekend that I was, uh, first time I've ever seen them, and, uh, they were, they were unbelievable, they were great, out at the, uh, out at the, uh, Forum in Inglewood, it was a fun show, fun show, so we're gonna talk about everything that's, everything that's communist, everything socialist, everything, you know, the, someone said, hey, uh, you know what the difference between communist and socialist and capitalist is? It's say uh, socialism is uh, you have you have two cows and the government comes in and takes one of your cows and gives it to your neighbor. Communism is you have two cows, they take one of your cat, they take both of your cows and give you a uh, and bring you back a glass of milk. And uh, capitalism is. You sell one of your cow. You trade one of your cows with your neighbor for a bull, and so uh, that's capitalism. I ran that by one of my employees one time, one of my millennial employees, and I go, I go. Uh, do you get why that means capitalism? You you get it? She goes, uh, Yeah, bulls are worth more than cows, and I go, No, but you have one cow, one bull. You can make lots of baby cows and baby bulls, and you can keep multiplying them. So you know what, folks. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your thinking cap going. You know, be aware of what's going on. People are going to do what people are going to do. Um, human nature. It doesn't matter what the theory is behind behind things. It all comes down to what 
how will people how will people react? You know what? Hey, if you cut ta- if you cut taxes, if you cut taxes, we'll have less money coming into the coming into the uh, to the uh, treasury, and then we won't be able to pay for schools and pay for for policemen and our military. But you know that's not how people work. You know, if you cut taxes, people will have more taxes, and the rich people will create jobs, and the poor people will have more taxes. They'll spend it. And the more money gets spent, the more jobs that are created and creates more people paying less taxes instead of a lot, a few people paying a lot of taxes. <clears throat> I know the theory behind uh, what the Democrats' short-sightedness is. Well, you know, Trump is just going to run up the debt because he cut all the taxes. So we're not going to have as much taxes come in. We're going to have more debt. Sorry, that's not really how it works. That trickle-down economic things, that trickle-down economics thing really works regardless of what hillary says it's been tried and it works it just isn't waterfall down it's trickle down so you got to give it a little bit of time and uh, we're seeing it we're seeing it work already it's only gonna get better so we're gonna talk about uh even more stuff on that uh but first let me introduce myself my name is ed hoffman president wholesale capital corporation your local direct mortgage lender located here in southern california offices all over the place if you need to get in touch with me and you want if you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate you can get in touch with me at 855-640-2020 that's 855-640-2020 one last time day or night area code 855 855- 640-2020. If you want to uh, get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're stealing time from your boss or you don't want your wife to know what you're doing when you're uh, sitting in front of your computer, she already thinks you're uh, you're doing stuff you shouldn't be, uh, go to WCCLoans.com, www.WCCLoans.com, and uh, you'll find all kinds of mortgage information there. Click uh, looking for a loan, click apply now, and put as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Cody Bradbury, or Aaron Fredericks. And we will help you find the missing pieces of your real estate financing puzzle. You know, it's uh, after doing this for 29 years, um, I've got people calling me, Hey, Ed. Hey, uh, this is John. You know, I need, I, I'm thinking about buying a car. Should I buy it or should I lease it? Uh, should I take some money out of my house to do it? Well, you know, how should I do it? Well, you know what? Whatever, you know, I'll, you know, we, uh, once we become, once we become, uh, uh, business associates, we become friends and you call me as often as you want. So, uh, and, but sometimes you might get, sometimes you might hear back from one of my teammates. They are me and I am them. So we're all, we all work together on this stuff. If you hear any time on the show that you want repeated, go to edhoffman.net and uh, go to the podcast page. You can hear this show as, as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes where you can uh, where you can subscribe and download it for free. It'll automatically download to your uh, your computer, your iPhone, your iPad, your iWatch, your, your mini pad, your maxi pad, anything that you uh, listen to, uh, to uh, podcasts on. And you can hear it on demand whenever you want to do it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long and, uh, like the show on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. And, uh, finally, if you want to leave some comments on the show, if I inspire you to, uh, to want to put in your two cents, call 855-640-2092. It's a recorded line. You could uh, record your comments. I will listen to all of them, and uh, occasionally I have some time. I'll play you on the radio. 
Um, and if you and if they're not happy, uh, happy comments, I'll play those too. I just haven't had any, I haven't had any insults in a while, so it's been. A, I've had this uh, that line for about I don't know six months. I got a few insults in the beginning. They were fun. Um, telling me that I'm not a professional. You're not a professional radio guy, man. You say oh, a lot, and I say hey, it's because I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm thinking while I'm on the radio. I'm not just reading reading a script. You know, there's notes I read. There's notes I read, and then I throw in my stuff. And sometimes I think something I've been telling you guys to do for ten and a half years. Watch what you see on Fox News. Watch what you see on CNN. Listen to stuff that you hear on the radio. Watch the stuff you read. The stuff that you see on the internet. And then before you come to a conclusion, stop and think. Does this make sense? I don't know. So let's talk about some things that don't make sense. By now you've heard about this girl, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 28-year-old who defeated the congressman uh, Joe Crowley in New York. Crowley was considered by many to be the likely next Democrat speaker if that blue wave happens. You know, if uh, the Democrats take back the uh, Congress in November and then they thought, I don't think Nancy Pelosi is going to be our speaker this time. And they thought uh, Joe Crowley would be it. But, you know, you have to actually get elected to stay in there. And so he lost the primary. So now it's uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, 28 year old. And you know what? I, and you know what I've learned about 28 year olds? They're not that freaking smart. You know what? They just don't have. You know what? That's you know the reason. The reason that uh, I you know I have my kids are 30, almost 34 and 32. And uh, you know what? The older they get, the wiser they get. But you know what? I'm going to be 57 next month and my oldest one, my oldest, well, I still, we have a, Don has a, has a son who's a 44 this year. And, uh, and you know what the difference between me and him is I'm 57. He's 44. You know what the difference between me and my, my next son is I'm 57. He's 30. He's almost 34. You know what the difference between me and my daughter is? I'm 57. She's 32. And you know what? There's a big dadgum difference in the amount of uh, wisdom you gain from the years. So those of you that say, hey, you know what? Getting old sucks. Um, there's no way to get all this wisdom in your body without living through the years. So uh, just enjoy it. So, uh, But in order for that blue wave to come that we're talking about, that's gonna re- that's, that would have put Joe Crowley uh, up for speaker, and for the Democrats to take it, they have to uh, they have to go with what's popular. And thanks to candidates like Cortez, the Democrats' uh, what's popular is go as far left as possible. Here's some far left candidates popping in uh, up up in time for uh, midterms. Here's a uh, David Garcia. David Garcia is the Democrat frontrunner for Arizona for the Arizona governor's race. I want to just take a second and imagine. Let's just imagine. Just imagine. No wall. No wall in Southern Arizona. Well, we don't have to imagine because there is no wall in Southern Arizona. But why would you want to imagine that? I mean, Arizona is mostly a red state anyway, and mostly conservatives. You know, there's a ton of people moving to Arizona from California because they're tired of the BS that's going on in in uh, the most beautiful, the most the most idiot state in the union, California. Um, I'm wondering why I'm here. Oh yeah, well, why am I here? Well, I have Don and I have a house in Arizona, but you know it's just so hot out there. We can go, we go out there and go to the river, and you know, with the air conditioner still goes down to sixty eight or something. 
and it's nice and cool, and we have the pool in the backyard, and we have the boat in the garage, and we're a mile from uh, launching on Lake Mojave, and we're a mile from uh, from uh, the bridge that goes over to Laughlin so we can have some fun. Uh, but you know, it's still dadgum hot out there. I like California for my full-time place. <clears throat> we'll see if uh, if we uh, if we all get off our butts in uh, November and make make this place turn red. Here's uh, the uh, uh, Cynthia Nixon of uh, Sex in the City fame, uh, who's running for governor of New York against Andrew Cuomo. I am proud to be one of a small but growing number of candidates to identify as a democratic socialist. The establishment is terrified of that word, socialism. Republicans are going to call us socialists no matter what we do. So we might as well give them the real thing. Can you believe people are 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 cheering for that? You know, and I I have an ongoing uh, Facebook uh, argument with uh, somebody who's on the radio besides me, and he's a liberal, and him and his followers are morons, and uh, and and what what I don't un- what I, what they don't understand, this is what they don't understand is, hey, you know what, most people. And I'm thinking about one particular guy. I'd say most people don't have your kind of talent where they can sit in front of a microphone and be cute and be funny for three hours a day and make it and make as much money as you do. Okay. So let's eliminate all those people. All let's eliminate all, uh, you know, 2000 of those people out of 330 million. Okay. So those 2000 people, they're in a different category. And then, then let's take out the rest of the people. Most people that don't have that kind of talent, won't work as hard as I do to make as much money as I do. Okay? Just they just don't have the drive, they don't have the they don't have the initiative, they don't have the brains or for whatever reason, they just won't. Take all those people out. And the rest is America. Okay? They go to work, they come home, they take care of their kids, hopefully, they take care of their families, they pay their bills, and the for the rest of America, reality is they need jobs. They don't need hand ups, handouts. You know, the government doesn't create jobs. The government creates an environment so jobs can be created by the private sector. And so that more people are working, more people are working, more money's moving around, and life gets better. And then every now and then, one of those one of those Americans, one of those normal Americans that won't work as hard as I do and doesn't have the talent that such and such does, they stick their head up and say, Hey, I want more. I'm gonna work harder. And that's how uh the lower class the lower the lower income people become the middle class and that's how middle class become the upper middle class and that's how the upper middle class become rich people because they decide they want more and they and they're willing to 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 push a little harder so let's go to uh let's go to the next one here's a candidate who's uh, more or less uh more or less uh, Cynthia Nixon's running mate well she's running not really a running mate but she's running for a New York state attorney general this lady's real name is Zephyr Teachout. ICE has to be abolished. And I say that as somebody who's running for one of the top law enforcement jobs in the country. And as attorney general, I will continue to speak out against ICE. I will prosecute ICE for their criminal acts. Criminal acts for ICE. I thought criminal, I thought ICE uh, takes out the illegal aliens for the criminal acts they did coming across the border illegally. I don't know. Uh, so we're going to take down, imagine a southern border with no wall, and now let's prosecute ICE and get rid of them. 
I foresee problems in this country if these morons get into office. But that's just me. I could be wrong. So uh, now here's here's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez herself showing what a young... Remember what I said at the beginning about young people? Uh, about what a young Democrat socialist candidate actually looks like. Well, what she sounds like. How her brain functions. I think that politically, this like upper middle class is probably more moderate, mm -hmm. um, but that upper middle class doesn't exist anymore in America. Their heyday was in the 90s when like, you know, kids had like Furbies and like parents that you had like soccer moms with like two vans and stuff like Furbies and two vans. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a dream. That's not America anymore. <laughs> Man, Furbies. I don't even know what a Furby is. I know it's a kid's toy of some sort. What's a Furby? And two vans. Who needs two vans? Why would you want two vans? You just need one van. I, well, you know what? That's not America anymore. <laughs> what a what an idiot. So uh, if you guys, if if you know people that are getting that are, that are excited about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez because she's uh, young and energetic, you know what? We should bring on a whole bunch of hers. And uh, and then all we have that all we have to do, Republicans, is sit on our butt, and that'll be the future of our country. Okay, sit on our butt on November the fifth, is it? Whatever the first Tuesday in November is. Let's make sure we vote. Let's make sure we vote. So, uh, but this far left uh, is this the far left message that is that really effective? Ocasio Cortez endorsed five primary candidates over the past week. You know what? Who cares? It's not like Trump going out and saying, hey, I'm endorsing this person. Or, uh, you know, some governor of a state saying, hey, I'm endorsing this person. Nobody even knows who she is. And she's going into other states and saying, I endorse this person. Who cares? You don't even know. You don't even know which which side, uh, which side of the coin has a head on it. So uh, so she she endorsed five five primary candidates over the past week. Only two of them won their elections on Tuesday. Republican Troy Balderson defeated Democrat. Danny O'Connor in the Ohio special election that's been on TV quite a bit. And of course, the Democrats are calling for a recount. Ah, uh, oh, we lost. Let's do a recount. Somebody cheated. When in fact, the cheating comes from the Democrat side. In Michigan, Republican businessman John James, a black Iraq war veteran who was endorsed by Trump, won the Republican nomination Tuesday and will take on Democrat Debbie Stabenow this fall. Here's what, here's what, uh, what this uh, uh, John James sounds like. I don't have a black message. I don't have a white message. I have a red, white, and blue message. I have a message of everybody achieving the American dream. Well, I guess red, white, and blue message, not a black message. It's not, and he's Republican, so I guess that makes him an Uncle Tom. I don't know. Black conservatives drive li liberals crazy just like Jewish Democrats drive us crazy. You know what? Hey, Jewish people, they're smart financially, and they're the chosen people, and, uh, and, they, and they care about Israel. And they vote Democrat. Well, what sense does that make? I don't understand it. Okay. <clears throat> I have a few people in my family that are turning that around. Uh, meanwhile, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, the, the, uh, the honorable Kamala Harris seems to be, uh, seems to understand that if she's going to run for president 2020, she has to figure out how to deal with people like John James when they want, when they, uh, when they get to Congress. So, She's educating her base on the use of identity politics. I have a problem, guys, with that phrase, identity politics. Because let's be clear. When people say that, it's a pejorative. That phrase is used to divide and it is used to distract. 
Its purpose is to minimize and marginalize issues that impact all of us. It is used to try and shut us up. Yep, she's starting to figure out that this is just not a winning winning uh this is not a winning formula for the Democrats. And uh since she's already in, she's not running for re-election uh yet that she needs to just kind of put the put her ducks in a row if she's going to run against Trump in uh in 2020. So she's starting to try to get away from that. And uh all this, all this socialism talk, all this stuff, apparently is what what Democrats seem to think is a metaphor for humanity. Well, you know, if you care for people, we should be socialists. So everybody gets to have some money, and everybody gets to have this, and everybody gets to have that. <clears throat> what we can learn, what a lot of you guys haven't heard about, is in Venezuela, where uh, President Ven- in Venezuela, where they are communists. Uh, socialist, where President Nicolas Maduro recently survived an assassination attempt by a drone. Inflation hit more than, according to this, 40,000% in June, and the country is facing severe food shortages. They're they're short on food, they're short on on services, uh, their electricity is going down regularly, and uh, it's so severe that starving people are reportedly breaking into the local zoos to slaughter and eat the animals. Well, it kind of reminds me of this scene from uh, Movie Alive. You're talking about eating people. No, we're talking about eating meat so that we don't die. I don't think I could do it. How could we go back to our families? You could go back alive. I think they'd prefer that. I know that if I died, that if my dead body could help you stay alive, I'd want you to use it. In fact, if I do die, you don't eat me. I'm going to come back from wherever I am and give you a good kick. Take my hand. Pledge with me. Whoever dies agrees. Use my body as food. Can you just promise, if you eat me, that you clean your plates? Uh, yeah, well, you clean it. Well, at least they're not talking about eating eating uh, people, but, uh, you know, they're slaughtering uh, zoo animals for meat to, to eat. That's how good it is in socialism, guys. That's how great it is. Make sure everybody realizes that. Under fire, Venezuela President Nicolas Maduro admitted his economic model has failed in the wake of food and medicine shortages, public services paralysis, such as Tuesday's power failure that affect 80% of Caracas. The production models we've tried so far have failed, and the responsibility is ours, mine and yours. Maduro told his ruling PSUV, uh, which is the United Socialist Party of Venezuela, uh, as Venezuela looks it looks to tackle chronic inflation. The, in, the International Monetary Fund predicted uh, would reach 1 million percent this year. Uh, enough with the whining, he said. We need to produce with or without, with or without outside aggression, with or without blockades. We need to make Venezuela an economic power, he added, late Monday with the country grappling with four-year-long recession. No more whining. I want solution, comrades. I estimate it will take about two years to reach a high level of stability and see the first symptoms of new economic prosperity without, for one second, affecting Social Security and, and protection, added the president. And I don't know if he's right. I think uh, we could all take, uh, take some uh, lessons from uh, Venezuela. And uh, let's not go down this route. Hey, I'll talk more about this in the, in the coming weeks, but I'm part of... I'm uh, all out of time for part one of the main event. And uh, coming up in part two is I'm going to switch gears, switch gears on the politics a little bit and talk, talk about something a little happier. Uh, stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, uh, commercials, and sports, and I'll be right back.
Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about mortgages and uh, real estate on the, on, the, uh, on the show because it bores you a little bit, but if you need some, if you need to refinance or if you want to buy a house or if you need to get one of those reverse mortgage things and you want to learn some more about it, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. You know that, uh, uh, that I, I and my wife and uh, through uh, WCC Charities, we, uh, we support a lot of different causes and, uh, and a lot of veteran stuff. And, uh, and we always support the kids. And uh, my guest this week has been doing just that. Uh, for years with an organization that he operates called Stevens Hope for Children. Uh, Don and I have been uh, have been supporters of them for a couple of years. Tony Capelli and his wife Sandy are the founders of this great nonprofit here in the Inland Empire, and uh, Tony is here to tell us more. Tony, welcome to the main event. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, so uh, tell us how you and your wife were inspired uh, to, to found Stevens Hope for Children. Well, it all started back in 1999. We were trying to have kids, and we had some issues. And and uh, through the magical of magic of uh, medical science, we were able to have twins, um, Nick and Alexa, born in 1999. And um, doctor said because of some issues that uh, Sandy had, we wouldn't have any more kids. And lo and behold, about five or six months later, we found out we were pregnant again. And then uh, five months into the pregnancy, we went to find out if it was going to be a boy or a girl. The doctor said, congratulations, it's a boy, but there's a problem. And at first they thought it might be a hole in the heart, and then it was going to be Down syndrome. And what it happened to be was Stephen had hypoplastic left heart, which basically meant this left half of his heart did not form. And he had some other issues going along with the arteries and so on and so forth. Doctors had said that because of his condition, we should terminate the pregnancy. We just didn't think that was something that we felt we should do. There was a reason why um, this child was brought to our lives and we decided to continue the pregnancy, hoping to get a miracle and that Stephen's heart might be healed. And if we didn't get the miracle we wanted, maybe the whole purpose of Stephen's life was to donate his organs to another child. So we continued the pregnancy, it was very hopeful. And um, in December of 2000, Stephen was born. And while he looked normal, his condition didn't change. And after 32 hours, he died in our arms. And that's when the doctors told us that because of his condition, we were not able to harvest any of his organs. So it kind of led us to this point where, why do we just go through this to have no result? No, no child, no child to be saved. And it just seemed very much against what we were feeling during the time of the pregnancy, which is a lot of hope and a feeling of healing and a purpose. And so being two stubborn Italians, we just decided we were going to try and go out and find, find a reason some way. And we started looking at and trying to figure out what we would have done had we um, had any options for Stephen with heart <clears throat> transplant or something mm-hmm. like that. And what we found, there was, there, was a, there was some good services out there, but for us, it would have been a very much of a, uh, a challenge that could have wiped us out as a family. Uh, at the time, my wife and I both had jobs. We had income. We had a great relationship. We had friends. We had family. We had insurance. And at the time, we would have been a family separated. One of us would have been in Loma Linda with Stephen for years, while the other one was 40 miles away with 16-month-old twins. And that was just... 
it would have ripped us apart. And we realized that if it would have been hard for us, a family that had so many things going for it, how does a, a family that doesn't have all those things or has to travel great distances or is a single mom on a single income, how do they survive? And what we found out from a lot of the social workers is that the family doesn't survive. Divorce, um, neglect, uh, unable to provide the right type of care, it just, it just, it just didn't seem right. So not knowing any better, we just decided to try and do something. And as my wife say, we took a stone and threw it in calm water and made a ripple with Stephen's hope. Or as uh, Steve Jobs said, the people crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. And uh, as you see the size of your uh, your organization, uh, what, 18 years later, uh, it's uh, it's it's grown from from what I see. Tell us how Stevens Hope for Children helps families of injured and ill children in Southern California by uh, providing them with housing near treatment of or near treatment hospitals. Well, basically, we we've kind of focused on the Loma Linda area because um, it seemed like the right place to be for us being in the Inland Empire, and when we looked at other organizations in the area, they were they were great organizations, but there was something that was bothersome to us, and that was. A lot of these places are communal in nature where you get a room and a bath and that's kind of all you get but you cook with 25 or 50 other families and you watch tv with 25 or 50 other families and no play privacy with, there's no privacy but it's also it's not it's a communal environment and and when you have a child who's had a heart transplant or is going through certain types of procedures their immune system is compromised and they can't be around a whole lot of other people otherwise they end up right back in the hospital mm -hmm. and so for us it, it seemed like there was something missing there we wanted to try and provide a different way of of providing housing for these families so we just went out and rented apartments and we um, all the apartments we have right now are two bedroom two bath fully furnished apartments and we've made them as much like a timeshare as we can possibly do it's um they're all they have all the linens and pots and pans and games and books and dvds and computers and tvs and we even make sure that there's a washer and dryer inside each apartment so that families don't have to leave to go do laundry mm -hmm. so it, it tries we try to make it as um as much of a home for them as humanly possible okay and uh but you actually do stuff beyond beyond just housing them, and and you'll give me give us an idea about uh, time frames that you you know some some uh, family has 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 these problems. Their kids in Loma Linda needs treatment. They need a place to stay closer because they don't live close to Loma Linda. Um, give us an idea about how long you guys support these families, and and I know that it's not just while they're at the hospital. Right. You guys follow up with them as well. Yeah. There's there's. Um, we generally like to see our uh, see situations where the family is going to be with us for 30 days or more. Um, and we've had families come in from the Inland Empire all across California, around the United States, and we've had them from like seven or eight different countries as well. But basically, um, outside of the housing, we have two other programs. But, but to your question of how long these families stay with us, some stay an average of about three and a half months in the actual apartments. Uh -huh. um, in the last few years, we've probably had, I think, seven or eight families that have stayed with us longer than six months. Uh -huh. And about three months ago, we had one family that we finally were able to let them go back home. They stayed with us for over 500 days. Year and a half. Year and a half. So and but you're not are you uh, are you guys uh, providing them food and 
you know, while that while they're there, because obviously they're not working. Right. Yeah, we have three programs. The first one's Housing for Hope, which is actually the, the housing pro, uh, program. Second is a program called Fill a Need, where we help with the family with food, transportation expenses, clothing, um, anything they need to be to 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 do, like maybe. Um, paying an electric bill back home because they don't have the money for it. Uh We had situations years ago where um, a family didn't have money for a cell phone and their child needed a a liver transplant and their phone at their house got shut off and and they missed an opportunity to get a a liver transplant because they had no way to be reached. So Mm -hmm. we provided them with the phones and and, a month or two later they got another phone call and they were able to get the the liver for the child so it's just doing those types of things that um it just makes sense stuff um they need to have they need to have food they need to have clothing we just um we just had a an event at at our uh locate at our organization called family day we have about 15 to 20 families that are on a continual support program with us right now and they renew every year and we had them come in and they did got to shop and we took them out shopping and they got to buy clothes for their kids and all their kids and for the parents and moms to get them all ready to go back to school and mm-hmm. we supplied them with backpacks and everything just to try and give them oh, because they don't have the money to to do these things for themselves anymore yeah and the cost the cost of raising kids and feeding and paying utilities and having all the stuff that we take for granted sometimes because we just pay them because we have jobs. Uh, the cost is is high and continuous. And then I also notice that you have one one sick kid in the family, the other kids the other kids kind of get neglected, which you don't want to neglect them. And they and they don't they don't usually complain, but they still feel it. So you don't want the other kids in the family to feel neglected as well. Right, and that that happens a lot throughout the year. You know, it's it's a matter of uh, through one of our other programs, we care. It's the fam- the family suffers all inclusively because of the situation, one unfortunate situation with the child, and like you say, the the siblings get forgotten, mm-hmm. and um, we see that a lot at Christmas time too. We have a, a a big program we do at Christmas called Winter Wonderland, where um, we have these sick kids and their families come out to a party we have for them and while they're getting their pictures taken with santa and getting a little bear we're stuffing the family car with christmas presents so they have something to open on christmas day Uh Um, we make sure that these families have thanksgiving dinners we make sure that they've got an easter basket and they get to celebrate halloween and just do the things that to try and get them used to their new normal Mm -hmm. yeah don and i uh don and i actually did some of that uh, Thanksgiving thing and Christmas stuff on our own where we uh, we heard about uh, actually Tony Robbins doing that and we got an idea what he he just wanted to start something and so we started we started with uh, we went to some churches and uh, some schools and said hey we want to we want to help some down on their luck people Thanksgiving and uh, Don just created these baskets with turkeys and pies and potatoes and a whole a whole we even threw in hey here's some here's some girl scout cookies that we bought that we shouldn't be eating let's put a box of those in each one of these baskets and we just and we found we went to some places that i didn't know existed in merino valley and you know when it's you know you drive down this back alley and then in the down this dirt road and then there's a bunch of apartments back there and you watch the people's eyes light up that you know hey it's the the night before thanksgiving and and you say hey 
some friend said that you might need some help, and here we are. And they, you know, we don't give them, we don't give them names, and we don't tell them where it came from. We just, we just say, hey, some friends look look like you could help the, help somebody. You know, look like you could use some help, and say, hey, you know, it's it feels good to help people, and especially when you can. When you can put a face on, it, as opposed, here I'm going to write a check to the the American Cancer Association, or I'm going to send a check to Jerry's kids or something. When you can actually put a face with it and see the see the gratitude in the li- the lives you're changing, that's that's where we like to to spend our money. You know, and it's interesting that you talk about the lives that are changing, and we've seen we've been doing this now for 17 or 18 years, and what's amazing to me the most is the lives that are being changed the most are not the ones receiving it. Mm-hmm. It's the ones that are giving it. Because yep. once it gets in their blood, it becomes um, like an endorphin for them. They just want to keep finding more ways to get involved and to go beyond oneself to do what is right. Kind of like the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto yourself. And, and just, it gives people an opportunity uh, to, share a little bit in humanity yeah it did and it, it changes and i know uh that we uh, got our kids involved and we've changed and we've had uh we actually boosted ours up to like 50 baskets um uh every year and we involved some people at our at our uh, company and our and they would bring their kids and and say they will want to see their their kid you know their kids and then we sponsored a um a bunch of uh a uh, a foster care agency actually in in marino valley and and we've done it for like several years in a row where we, be, hey, they make their, their Christmas gifts and, and we are Santa Claus. And it's just, we just stand in the back at their event and watch them open, open their gifts and say, hey, this might be the only gift these kids, you know, hey, it's not a problem with these kids. It's a problem with their parents, but the kids are, are the, are the, uh, are the, um, the casualties of that. And they end up being in foster, foster care families and, uh, so it, it's inspirational not to get off the subject of what you're doing, but it's inspirational to to watch people doing for for people that they don't have to. It's 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 good for the heart. makes your makes your heart work. So uh, there's other organizations, uh, one very well known, in fact, uh, that provide temporary housing uh, to these types of families. Um, but you say Stevens Hope is different. Um, you mentioned you know the. You mentioned the difference between putting them in communal, communal. Uh, I, won't, I don't want to say the Ronald McDonald House is a, a name, but you know the the communal, uh, the communal. Hey, you get a room and then you share share a living room and share a kitchen, and it's kind of a, you're in kind of a less comfortable environment as opposed. So you guys are putting them in apartments. What other what other ways are are is Stevens Hope different? Well, one of the things that we do differently with our places is we basically are giving them this apartment for them to use as they see fit uh, mm-hmm. where we don't um other than a, a, a rational occupancy limit limit of of having people in the apartment we encourage the families to bring other family members out and stay mm-hmm. with them because it's got two beds you can sleep five people they're pull-out sofas you know it's it's the best accommodations we can get to um or that we can come up with in a locale that's very close to the hospital. One of the things that's important is the location of these units have to be within a 30 minute radius of the hospital because if something were to happen with one of the kids, 
you have to get them back to Loma Linda. You can't go and have your sick kid and then take him up to Victorville and at five o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning, he starts showing signs of being sick. You can't get him down the hill in time. Exactly, especially and, in the morning. And and so what <clears throat> you're doing is it's it's a safety issue to put the child's health uh, and recovery plan uh, foremost in their minds. Mm-hmm. And you know, even when you get a heart transplant, you can't even get on the transplant list unless you have what they call a post-surgery housing plan. Mm-hmm. Which means if you're coming in beyond that 20 or 30 minute radius, if you don't have a place to stay, you're not on the list. So you have to have some place to stay. And that's where Stevens Hope comes in. And organizations like Ronald McDonald House do the same thing. It gives them a place to stay so they can get the transplant. Then once the transplant's done, um, a whole new set of problems come up. What people don't realize, and I'll ask you the question. After a child gets a heart transplant, how long do you think they stay in the hospital? Um, based on what I've seen, probably four or five days. Yeah, it's ten days. It used to. And I know, when I know, I remember growing up. I was thinking that they were staying there for five, six months, and it's uh-huh. no. You get healthy enough to get out of the hospital, then you have to stay in that radius for up to six months, and that's what Stevens Hope does. Right. And with all of our programs, uh, with the housing, with the clothes, giving them activities to do, like taking them to baseball games or movies or whatever. Um, what we're trying to do is get them used to their new normal. And and the vision statement that we have for Stevens Hope is to make sure that no family gets left behind during the time of a child's health crisis. Mm-hmm. And we see that happen a lot where a child gets sick and all their friends and families come around for a couple of weeks and they're supportive. And then after two or three weeks, everybody gets back busy with their own life and they kind of disappear and leave the family alone and abandoned. And that's where Stevens Hope comes in. But through all the programs we do, what we're really trying to do is give the parents an opportunity through our support of housing and clothes and food and transportation, all that stuff, to give them a chance to make a better decision on their child's health care. Right. That's, what, that's, that's the bottom line is if we can do that, then we've been <clears throat> successful. I know uh, uh, my wife, before I met her, had a uh, sick daughter uh, that she was going to Children's Hospital. And she said Ronald McDonald House was available um, if she wanted to get on the list, but she just wasn't comfortable because she she had another uh, a young boy and <clears throat> in addition to her sick daughter and just it was driving from from uh, Cucamonga to uh, to Children's Hospital in L.A. and it, you know just the environment was not comfortable for them and you know because she's got the sick daughter and her and her son. And, um, and just, she just drove, she just drove an hour back and forth from Rancho Cucamonga to, to, uh, to downtown LA. And, uh, and I can't believe that, that that's uncommon. I have to believe that that's how most people feel. You know, you're, it's kind of like staying at, staying with family too long. You start to figure out you're wearing out your welcome and people are going, okay, when are you, how long, how much longer are you going to stay here? And, and from listening to some of the people that have been helped by, by Stevens Hope at a couple of the events that I've been to, um, that's obviously not that's obviously not the reaction from the people that are that are being helped by Stevens Hope. Right, and like I say, it's just a completely different environment where they're given their own place to stay. It's not a place where yeah, here's your room and everything else is shared with you know 25, 50 other people. Mm-hmm. And which which in some cases it's great if you're if you're just going to the to the house to to sleep and you're spending all your day in the hospital, then it's fine. But 
when you're dealing with, you know, families that are getting uh, proton radiation and they're, you know, or cancer therapies, you know, two or three times a week and they're there for six or seven weeks, it's exhausting. Oh, yeah. And so um, to be just locked up in your room, uh, you know, with a bed and a bath and a dresser with no TV and no toys and no food up there, it makes it, that was the other thing. A lot of the places we were looking at, we looked at, they don't allow food up in your rooms. So you uh-huh. you could you had to either eat downstairs with twenty five other families and run the risk of getting infection, or you go out to restaurants and that's too expensive to do. So mm-hmm. where's the where's the where's the break off? Yeah, where's whatever. the where's the common sense of how you're really taking care of these people? Exactly. And you know if you go the you go to the waiting rooms, I mean I've spent time with uh, with sick relatives, and you just you sit there at the at you know. Your 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 sick family members asleep. So what do you do? Well, you want to be there, be there or close to there when they wake up. But what do you do during that time? And and you're just kind of out of place, sitting in the sit in the, the 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 waiting room and try to try to put on what you you know tolerate what other people want to watch on TV. And hey, wait, what are you watching CNN? We got switched to Fox. <laughs> oh, sorry, I went back into I went back into political mode. <laughs> So uh, I understand you're hoping to purchase some apartments uh, to better provide some services this yeah, year. Right. Well, since we started uh, housing families in 2003, we uh, have been renting apartments. And um, it's in a big complex, uh, about two and a half, three miles uh, away from Loma Linda. And while it's great, it's just it's um, not the perfect <clears throat> scenario for us. We'd like to have somewhere between eight to ten units within a mile radius of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um for several reasons. One, it'd be something we can call our own. It builds our own equity, and, and it's someplace we can put a, a flag post outside this is Stevens Hope House, where people know where we're at. But by able by being able to have um, some some units that are contiguous to each other or across the street from each other, we're able to provide more services to families um, with uh, nutritional education or health education or financial assist, financial training, because these people are having to learn a whole new set of parameters with their finances because they now have a lifelong change that they have to deal with. And uh, a lot of times these these families, they are facing things and, you know, uh, it doesn't go away. And like there, there are people today that we're going to be checking in 60 days from now that right now they don't know their child has cancer. Yep. That's, uh, <clears throat> might be people listening that don't realize that their child, child has cancer. They'll find out and they're going to be uh, touched by this. So, uh, yeah, it's, and then as you're building, as you're, as you're building equity and equity in your own organization, then you turn that equity into, more buildings and more more uh, more facilities you know, to help more families. You know, there's no reason why an organization like Stevens Hope couldn't be an organization just like Ronald McDonald House. There's there's really no reason. Only we, better. We we serve. You know, it's it's Ford Chevy. You know, it's it's we we do some of the things that they do, but we do it differently. And the other thing is we take care of families. We probably take care of more families that never see the inside of our apartment than those that do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have families that have been in our apartments that we've helped for six or seven years after they've been out because they may be good enough to go home, but their situation really hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. So we stay with them as long as we can. As long as they're 18 years of age or less, they have a financial need, they're referred by a social worker, and they have a serious illness or injury, we will help them as much as we can as long as we have the funding for it. Okay, so... Uh 
<clears throat> I see. Uh, I see. I see the need. I see. I've met the. I've met the families that you've helped, and I think this is something great. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, to uh, apply for assistance or if they want to donate to help out? As far as uh, uh, trying to get assistance, that has to come directly from a social worker or a doctor at, at Loma Linda or one of the surrounding hospitals. Uh, you can look up the basic information on our website. Uh, that's at stevenshope.org. That's S-T-E-V-E-N-S-H-O-P-E.org. Um, as far as uh, making a donation, supporting us financially, uh, you can do that on our website also. Or okay. you can call us at the office and talk to me and we can try and figure out a way that you can get involved and, and support the organization. Uh, phone number is really easy. It's 8663-STEVEN with a V. 8663-STEVEN. I don't know what that translates out into numbers. but That would be 378 Three six, all right. Hope you guys wrote that down. <clears throat> all right, Tony Capelli. Uh, I've you know I've I've met you and your wife. I'm inspired by uh, the work you're doing. Uh, I've got a copy of uh, of your wife's book called uh, called uh, Because of a Promise. If you guys are uh, want to check this organization out and what it's about uh, before you uh, before you dive in and and uh and donate uh pick that up get these at amazon on amazon yes amazon because of a promise by sandy capelli uh i'll be uh, taking this home and and reading it and uh i'm inspired and uh glad you could come on here and hopefully some of our listeners will uh, will join in and uh, we'll have you back again that'd be great appreciate right. it congratulations thank on you. your success thank you and thank you for all you do hey we're all out of time for this episode of the main event so uh my name's ed hoffman Thanks for listening. I'll be back again with you next week. The content of this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 0114747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199.